All right, so all scripture. This comes from 2 Timothy 3. 316. There's a lot of 316s that are really important in the Bible. Actually, next week we're going to talk about another one. But 2 Timothy 316. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What are the first two words in that verse? All, all scripture. Have y'all read scripture? There's some weird stuff in there. (laughs) All scripture. So do we really believe that? Do we believe it? Do we practice it? Do we use it? You see, I think sometimes that's tested. The Psalms are a really good example. The, the Psalms, they've been read by Jews and Christians for a couple thousand years. And they're these ancient songs. They come from a different time, a different place, a different culture than ours. But when you read them, they do read as if they understand exactly what it's like for us to be alive today. Now, the Psalms are full of celebration. They're full of life. This is how the Psalms begin. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's how the Psalms begin. That's Psalm 1. It's a Psalm professing trust and obedience in the God of Israel. This is what's expected of God's people. Go to the end of the psalm, Psalm 150, and you find a song of nothing but praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. It goes on to say, praise him using electric guitars and drums. (laughs) In the modern Chad translation. (laughs) The person that goes on this journey from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 50, once they've taken that journey, they don't need to be reminded to trust and obey. They've made that decision, and they don't need to be reminded that God is worthy of our praise because of this journey they've taken. This journey has helped them to see and experience the goodness of God. It is a journey of faith. A journey that starts with simple obedience and ends in a life of pure joy in the presence of the Lord. All right, so far so good, right? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what do we do with this? Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, because my bones are in anguish. My soul is in deep agony. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, nobody can proclaim your name. No one praises you from the grave. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my enemies. You might think out of 150 Psalms, that one comes somewhere near the end, right? That's Psalm 6. What do we do with that? This too is the word of the Lord. 
And thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, grateful um, that you have made a way for us, that uh, through the good times and through the really difficult times, that you are with us, and that you have given us tools so that we can remember that you're with us and we can practice life with you. So today, as we wrestle with the Psalms, as we wrestle with scripture, I pray that you would open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we could be honest and then receive your truth to go alongside that honesty. As always, we pray that this word would not just be information, that it would not just be given to make us feel better as we leave, but it is equipping us. It is the tools. It is the ammunition we need as we go out into the world as your missionaries, as your your witnesses, bearing testimony to the goodness of God each and every day. And then we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so uh, last week, Sabrina did a great job wrapping up our Bear Fruit series. On September 12th, we're going to see our next bear image. We're going to have this series through the fall called Bear Witness. For the next three weeks, I need to ask you to <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> we're getting pretty good at these, I think. Um, okay, but actually, uh, this week, Uh, I'm actually uh, really serious. Um, I want to ask you to bear with me. Um, As always, we're going to definitely learn from the scriptures. We always do that. Uh, But I really just want to take some time and share with you what's on my heart. Um, People from within the church ask me every week how they can pray for me, how they can pray for our staff. Um, After this week, they might stop asking. (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you. Um, The truth is, uh, it's been a really emotional season for me. Um, Not bad, just really emotional. I told you guys a couple weeks ago um, that I'm angry, and that's true. Um, I am angry. I'm angry at a lot of things. And like I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm working with Jesus on turning that anger into righteous action. The Holy Spirit's guiding me, working on me so that I don't lash out, so that I don't jump to conclusions, that I don't overreact, that I don't cause damage and drama as I work through that anger. Sometimes I fail, sometimes I succeed. But it's true, I'm angry. I'm also sad. Uh, Not depressed, I know the difference really well, um, but I'm sad. Today, I'm sad about Afghanistan. I'm sad for Afghans. I'm sad for friends of mine who grew to know and love them as they were fighting not only to protect us, but to liberate them from evil. I'm sad for friends who lost friends in that battle who also grew to know and love those sweet people as they fought to liberate them. Even though a couple weeks ago our trip to Honduras was life-giving in so many ways, I'm sad. I'm sad because I know that the kids that I met, that they are going to be raised in a corrupt government that's going to give them almost no chance to succeed. I know that they have no future set before them. Not a future that we would imagine for our kids. And that makes me sad. And I wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this? I'm sad about COVID. I'm sad about the lives that have been lost. I'm sad about the families that have lost people that they love. I'm sad that while people are dying and suffering and mourning people that they love and have lost, that we are fighting about vaccines and masks. I'm sad about all the things that we have lost over the past 18 months. 
I'm also really emotional for um, other reasons. Uh, a couple weeks ago, like many of you parents here, my kids went back to school. Now, look, I remember when they were really little, um, and it was time for each of them to go to preschool or kindergarten. Hallelujah, y'all. Oh my gosh. Thank God. Thank God for school. And then first grade, oh my gosh, a full day of school? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, So my sweet wife, uh, she was definitely more emotional about those milestones than I was. Uh, But I was 100% ready for him. Not so much this year. (laughs) And I know that it's just started and it's going to get even worse. Uh, Anna started eighth grade this year. I mean, my little girl just has one more year until she's in high school. Come on. That's insane. And that's not even the start of it. It's that firstborn in the house that's really breaking me. A driving to his first day of his last year in high school. Gosh. A couple college visits down, a couple more on the way over the next couple months. This one, it, it's hitting me really hard. Uh, they started school on August 10th. Now, okay, so for a month or so before that, um, I was sitting in my office and I was looking outside and there's this little tree right outside my window and I started to notice uh, a Mr. and Mrs. Mockingbird, they had built a little nest. And I noticed that in that nest, there were these three little eggs that hatched and we started to see their tiny little beaks poking up over the edge. They were chirping really loud, waiting for mom and dad to come back with food and they did and we watched it every day. And then one day, those little chicks, they're standing on the edge of that little nest. They're all fluffing out their feathers, they're getting ready. And I sat there for like an hour, to be totally honest with you. And Mr. and Ms. Mockingbird are flying up to the nest. They could see they had a mouthful of food and they'd fly up to the nest, but then they would just fly away again. Those little birds are getting loud, they were mad. But what were they doing? They were coaxing them, right? Like, come on kids, it's time to go. Time to get out of the nest. Guess what day that was? Like, I'm not even kidding. On August 10th, those three little birds left their nest, and now that nest sits there in that tree outside my office, totally empty, literally mocking me. (laughs) God has a brutal sense of humor sometimes. But the reality is all of this emotion, the, um, the anger, the sadness, uh, this real sense of like loss and the passing of really precious time. I think at the end of the day, y'all, it's just making me tired. Like in my bones, exhausted. Just this week, I was laying on the couch and I was like, I think I have the COVID. <laughs> and Jennifer was like, do you have a fever? No. Can you smell everything? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? from? No, I'm just tired. I'm so tired. I mean, I can get my work done. But I'm finding myself slumped over that work more than I would like to be. Typically, when there's trouble, when there's some issue we have to fix here at the church, I'm actually a little bit exhilarated by it because I like the challenge of solving problems. And we've had a lot of practice of that over the last 18 months. But not right now. Right now, I feel something that I know in me is really dangerous. I feel a sense of resignation that's beginning to creep up And when that happens, it not only steals my energy, but it steals my joy. Small things, I know they're small things, but they're starting to feel huge, way bigger than they really are. Just tired. 
Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. What an ancient and irrelevant book this is, right? <laughs> Not at all. Now look, y'all, I know that's a lot of honesty and I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm not telling you all this to make today about me. The reason I'm telling you this is because I know that I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only one that's tired and sad and angry. I meet with many of you every week. I know I'm not alone. Some of you throughout the church, people come right out and tell me. Some of you, I can just tell. I can see my weariness in your eyes. I can hear my anger and frustration in your voice. I empathize and I understand when people take small things and make them bigger than they are. I get it. And I know I'm not alone. So the question is, if all scripture is useful, right, all scripture, then can we trust God's word, not just to encourage us and give us good news all the time, but to be honest with us and guide us through times like these? And I'm convinced the answer is yes. And I'm convinced that's one of the most important reasons why we have the Psalms. Because it's in times like these that in these 150 songs, we find real power and strength. These Psalms are encouraging and they're full of joy and praise, but they are also raw and angry. They're frustrated. They're full of sadness and pain. They are the word of God given to us through the brutally honest words of humans. And these 150 Psalms are a gift in good times and when we're struggling. So I just want to take a minute this morning and look at one in particular and just talk about how it can guide us through uh, when times are really tough. Like I said, that journey from Psalm 1 to 150, it's a faithful journey from simple obedience to a life lived in pure joy with God. Now, right in the middle of those 150 Psalms, we find Psalm 73. Now, this Psalm begins just like Psalm 1. It claims God's goodness for those who trust and obey him. And then just like Psalm 150, it ends in pure praise. But in the middle, it is brutal honesty. Anger, frustration, doubt, verbally questioning whether God is truly good and just or not. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar and you've heard me mention them before, but one of his major contributions to the study of scriptures is he came up with this classification system for the Psalms. And he argues that every Psalm falls into one of three categories. And by understanding this, it actually helps us know the purpose of these 150 Psalms as they're gathered together in one songbook meant for all the generations and the Psalms as individuals. So those three categories, uh, there are Psalms. Every Psalm is either a Psalm of orientation toward God, a Psalm of disorientation away from God, or a psalm of reorientation back to God. Just that screen. Is that not the pattern of our life? And psalms know that. Every single psalm falls into one of these three categories. But Psalm 73 
is one of a number of psalms that by itself actually contains all three of these. So I want to show you quickly, we don't have time to go through the whole psalm, but I want to show you how this works because I think that we're going to find that this is really dramatically relevant for our lives today. Um, So first, we'll start with orientation in Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay, in Psalm 73, that's all we get. (laughs) We get one verse of orientation. One verse that explains the simple truth about God from a Jewish perspective. God is good to those who are pure in heart. Now look, this means what it means. It also means what it says. But I don't know that it means what we think it means. God is good, good to those who are pure in heart. But y'all, that is not a statement about our goodness. He's not good to us because we are good. It's not a statement about our commitment to do good or even to follow God's rules. It's actually just a really sweet Hebrew phrase. And it is only used when God is talking about his children from the perspective of a father. And we know this as parents. Those of you who are parents, our kids can be a mess, right? But to us, they're sweet. We still see their innocence, their purity, even when they start acting like little devils. But even as human parents, we can do that because we remember them the moment they were born. We look at their faces when they're asleep. We know what it's like when they're hurting and in need. Y'all, we are God's sweet and precious children, his covenant people. We are his dependents and he has promised to deliver and sustain us. And throughout the Bible, the writers are teaching us that God's goodness is not a response to our goodness. He's not good to us because we are good first. God's goodness is rooted in a deep truth that what God does for his precious children is fill a hole within us, fill a longing, a deep desire, a void in us that we are always trying to fill with other things. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but we know that eventually the truth is always revealed, no matter how shallow or how deep our efforts to fill that void in our life might be. Consuming things fails us, and that deep void is always revealed. We live in a consuming culture that's teaching us to consume things to fill that void, but it's actually just consuming us. And ultimately, it always fails us. This first verse reminds us that God won't. He is the one who will fill that longing within you. That he is good to his precious children. So that verse just by itself is a psalm of orientation toward God. You can sing that one psalm by itself when you need to be reminded of who you are in the presence of God. And we may just want to stop there, but we can't. Sorry, we have to keep going. Uh, Listen to this. This is an example in Psalm 73 of what disorientation might look like. The writer says, as for me, my feet began to slip. I almost lost my foothold because I started to envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's as if they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens 
They're not plagued by human ills. Pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imagination has no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. And it goes on to say, and the world listens to them. There's some bitterness there. And there are definitely more dramatic examples of disorientation in the Psalms, but this one really rings true to me today. The psalmist's faith begins to waver. He begins to doubt and question God because of what to him are just two observable truths about the world. And these are two truths that we still wrestle with today. The wicked prosper and the faithful suffer. And it's not fair. Of course, that's an overgeneralization. Not all wicked people prosper and not all faithful people suffer. But the writer is wrestling with the fact that there is an attractiveness to the self-indulgent life. That if we just focus on ourselves, we can probably take care of things. It seems pleasing to travel down that road and often in the moment it is. It seems like it's going to lift us up and fill the desires that are in us. Like I said, in our culture, consumption has been one way we do that. It's stuff. Things promise to fill that void. And maybe it's a new house or a new car or a new guitar or another new guitar. <laughs> but y'all, really deep things too. Like a new career, a new husband, a new wife. And that new husband or wife might seem like the answer, but y'all, marriages often fail because we're expecting another person to fill a void that only God can fill. We're putting on another human a responsibility that belongs only to God. They will always fail. We will always fail. We know these things will always fail to fill the longing within us. But in the moment, it's just not obvious. When we're caught up in the pace of day-to-day -day life, it seems like the things of this world are doing just fine. They fill the emptiness in us. In the moment, it seems like the things of this world can fill the void. And what I love is that this writer, he doesn't hide from this truth. That self-indulgent life can be so attractive. And its truth can overpower the truth of Scripture and the promises of God if we let it. This can be really hard to hear. We may want to skip past it. This language is harsh. Sometimes it's sarcastic, it's violent, it's negative, it's cynical, it's hopeless. Do you ever find sarcastic and violent, negative and hopeless words coming out of your mouth? Remember what I said earlier, all scripture is God-breathed. That means even the sarcastic, violent, negative, and hopeless words of his children. And I love it when scripture does this. I love it when scripture is honest. It gives us a grounded view of our reality. Because y'all trust and obedience in God doesn't mean that we walk around this world with our head in, head in the clouds. It doesn't mean that we're just supposed to ignore injustice and the difficulties of this world because we're living in the promises of God's prosperity. This world has many problems. Life in this world is simply not easy. And to deny that is just to deny the truth. We are a people who seek the truth. 
And one of the radical things about the Psalms is that it does so using our words. It uses our words and God doesn't even reply. God never replies in the Psalms. He never defends himself. He just listens. He allows us to vent, to say what's in our gut, to be brutally honest. He allows us to question whether he's good or not without immediately jumping to his own defense. These are our words. Our words that he redeems and then offers back to us as a part of his guiding word to us each and every day. And there's such an important practical truth to this. Do you have something that you need to get off your chest? Then trust God, follow the guidance of the Psalms and do it. Say it. But say it to God. Don't take it first to your neighbor. Don't just throw it up on social media first. Take it to God. In prayer, if you don't know what to say, then read the Psalms. If you have a lot to say, then write your own Psalms. Y'all, he can handle it. That's the incredible grace and mercy of God that rebellious children are actually invited to say what we need to say. My grandmother, she used to tell me, she would say, Chad, before you say something to somebody, say it to God first. (laughs) And then see if you should say it again. (laughs) And she would say, I don't care what it is. If you're going to tell me I love you, tell God first. Which I thought was really sweet. And if she's going to say, if you're going to tell somebody you hate them, say that to God first too. And maybe it'll slow you down and keep you from saying something that you're going to regret. God accepts our deep questions and concerns about his goodness and he doesn't even defend himself when it happens. He doesn't punish us because of our brutal honesty. What he does instead is that he meets us in the midst of it. He draws us to himself and that's where the real healing begins. The writer says this. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. A child who is beside themselves with anger or sadness can't always be reasoned with. Sometimes they just need to be held. Y'all, I've told you before, I've, I've got issues with my dad and that was a really rough part of my life, but I will never forget when I was 12 years old and I found out for the first time he wasn't my biological dad and that I was adopted by him. And I didn't understand it, I was 12. It kind of came up at random conversation. I don't think they meant for me to hear. And I had no idea what was going on. No clue. I was inconsolable. I couldn't understand in the moment the complicated nature of my own adoption. And for all of his faults, for all of his issues, for all the ways that he failed me throughout my life, I will never forget that moment when all he did was grab me and hug me. Because there was nothing he could say. He just held me. And I remember what it smelt like. I remember what it felt like. I will never forget that. That was one moment in that broken man's life where he did model the love of God to me and I'm forever grateful for it. That brings us to the conclusion of this song. Our reorientation back toward God. The writer says this. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was bitter, 
I was senseless and ignorant. I was a beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. The psalmist's mind, the writer's mind is being changed. His physical orientation is turning back toward God. This writer has been reoriented in the direction of our good and faithful God because he was honest about how he felt in the moment. He started in obedience. He took it to God. He said what he needed to say. He drudged the depths of his suffering and his doubt. And in doing so, it led him to a place where now he says nothing but pure praise. This is how the psalm ends. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Study these psalms. They are brilliant pieces of literary work. And what I love about this one, the brilliance of this one, is actually in the detail it leaves out. And this is the last thing I'll say today. He says, I was confused and lost until I was in the sanctuary of God. But he tells us nothing about what happened in that actual encounter. Just that they met. That he met with the living God. And he was changed. I mean, think about that for a second. Like, how fantastic might that description have been? Like how wonderful to be able to tell others the details of a moment when you were at your lowest and God maybe in some miraculous or really remarkable way stepped in and picked you up and turned you around. How could you not want to tell that story? Just imagine how detailed that story could have been, but he doesn't. He's constrained. He leaves out those details and he does it for a reason. So that you can put yourself in his shoes and you can answer that question for yourself so that I don't think about his remarkable encounter with God, I think about mine. How has God been with me on this journey from obedience through suffering and doubt back to praise? How has he done it before? Because if I can remember that, then maybe I can recognize how he's doing it with me now. Even in the midst of my anger and my sadness and the fear that I have of losing these precious days with my kids. I can see now in the midst of my exhaustion how he's still with me. And I need to remember that so that I can be a witness of that good news to others who are feeling discouraged and far away from God. So today there's no like, so what, other than I guess the whole sermon has kind of been a big so what. Um, Y'all, I wish I could tell you that things are gonna get better soon, that that you're going to go home this afternoon and that the people of Haiti are all of a sudden going to be okay and the people in Afghanistan are all of a sudden going to be free. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. But in the midst of it, no matter what it is, no matter what day it is, we have to remember in the good and the bad that God is with us, that God is with you, that he will never let you go We have to remember that Jesus once hung on that cross and it seemed to his own disciples as if there was no hope. They ran and hid, terrified. But that cross was empty and three days later, so was that tomb. 
And that reminds us that no matter what this world can throw at us, earthquakes, hunger, war, whatever it is, the worst it can do is death. And death has been overcome. Amen? There is a place that we can turn to to be reminded of this truth. And in this season that I'm in, as I'm struggling with these deep emotions, exhaustion, anger, sadness, and fear, I'm turning to these psalms of orientation, even the psalms of disorientation, and the psalms of reorientation to guide me back to the arms of the Lord. And I'm sharing this all with you today simply to invite you to open those pages and join me. In God's brilliance, and I think, again, a little bit of his sense of humor, it's smack dab in the middle of the Bible. All you have to do is split your Bible in half and you'll find the Psalms. It's a gift. Use it. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for a church family to be honest with, to be vulnerable with, to share uh, the ups and downs of life. And I'm grateful for people who will just walk alongside me through that. Um, that is what you are building here. Not just a place where people come to get a good word and go back to their regular lives. You are building a family that can walk through the good and the bad together. So I pray that everybody in the sanctuary today, everybody who will be here this Sunday has that, that they find that here in this place. A group of people that they can be honest with that will help guide them back to you even when times are tough. So God, we are grateful uh, for this word. We are grateful that you understand what it's like to be us, that you understand what it's like to live in this broken place, that you don't tell us just to pretend that everything's okay. You don't tell us to stick our heads in the clouds. You tell us it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be tired, but to take every piece of it to you. So I pray that you would continue to teach us to do that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.